0: Welcome listeners, I am your host Jonathan Yamasaki for Go Entrepreneur Yourself, a podcast where we bring you local entrepreneurs and leaders from around the country to share their story about adversity, triumph, and their business. Today we bring you an incredible entrepreneur, Nick Freud, who is revolutionizing the way high school students tour college campuses. By leveraging technology and video content, they are democratizing the way the college search process is going for students and making it easier for them to make well-informed decisions in which college to call home. Their organization, Campus Real, was recently named Forbes 30 Under 30 for Education and has been recognized by news outlets such as New York Times, USA Today, and TechCrunch. Nick, thank you so much for being on our show today.
1: Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yes. So before we get started to the questions to hear more about your business, I actually do a little icebreaker, and I call it Fast Five. So this is for our audience members to get to know you a little personally. New York pizza or Chicago style pizza? I'm from New York, so I have to go to New York. All right, perfect. What's the first thing you're going to do when this pandemic is over? Go get a massage. Yes, that, that's definitely something I wanted to do. <laughs> uh, what do you think about when you're alone in your car?
1: Usually I'm either thinking about food, sports, or like really big questions about like the meaning of life and like what is
0: consciousness. (laughs) That's awesome. And then uh, what is the funniest thing that happened to you recently? I mean, recently there hasn't
1: been too much funny stuff going on because we've been locked down. I guess this wasn't so funny, but it was like, I guess if there was a third party perspective, it would be funny. Our grill lit on fire last week when we were barbecuing. And me and my oh, room, we didn't have like a fire extinguisher or anything. So we just took a bunch of salt and garlic. Apparently that works. And we're just pouring it over. It wasn't funny for us, but I imagine if someone objectively watching it all go down, it would probably
0: be pretty hilarious. That's intense. Did you all happen to record that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, we weren't really thinking uh, too critically at the time.
0: That's crazy. All right. Last question. Tell me something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on. <laughs> um.
1: If you take risks and open yourself up to opportunities, good things will happen to you.
0: That's awesome. That's great. As an entrepreneur, I, I wouldn't expect any less for you to say that. <laughs> awesome. So we'll get started. Walk me through your business, Nick. How did you start Campus real?
1: Yeah, so we began looking into the college search space a little over three years ago. Our original idea actually was slightly different than what Campus Real is today, Um, but it was lucky because it, it allowed us the opportunity to really look critically at how College Search was done throughout the country and world. And what we quickly realized is that there's no shortage of resources out there that can speak to the quantitative information about a college campus. So figuring out the student population size, what SAT range you need to be in, for example, that's all really at the tip of your fingers. What was much more difficult, we felt, was to understand more qualitatively what a college campus is all about. So specifically the student body, the community, and the quote-unquote vibe on campus. Um, we heard over and over again when we were asking students why they made their college decision or why they chose their institution. They, they all say, I stepped on campus, I looked around, I don't know what it was, there was just this vibe that I picked up on that like really made me feel like I wanted to be at home because the resources were lacking in the capacity of speaking to those more qualitative factors that are so fundamental to finding a place that you call home campus tours became a really fundamental part of the college search process and what we realized is that unfortunately this need to go travel from campus to campus all over the country ended up further marginalizing all of those students who are already so marginalized throughout this process Um, It's domestically it's underrepresented in first generation students who just don't have the resources to go travel from campus to campus. They're at such a loss in this process. And then international students like they're really stuck between a rock and a hard place in terms of you can either spend a couple thousand dollars to come fly to the states and go tour campuses. Or you can make the single most consequential decision of your young life with incomplete information. Um, So we felt like the system was unbalanced and unequal. And we really wanted to find a way to put students at the forefront of college search like that's really what we felt was lacking was just like real students being at the forefront of their college experience and communicating to the next generation, what it really looks and feels like to be on campus on a day to day basis. At the same time that we were thinking through this solution, we noticed what was happening on YouTube, where college students throughout the country were kind of taking it upon themselves to record day in the lifestyle vlogs. So what we wanted to do is take that approach from youtube the kind of authentic day in the lifestyle short form videos and merge it with like a more traditional kind of like textbook based resource like the FIS guide which is what my co-founder and i used when we were applying um, and create a whole new approach to a college search resource um, so that was kind of like the genesis of campus reel we began working with college students throughout the country and world to create this series of authentic short form videos Over the course of a year and a half, we sourced 15,000 videos from 320 college campuses, and now we're turning our sites to partnering officially with colleges and universities throughout the country and world to work with their students to do the same thing.
0: That's awesome. Now, I wanted to go back to what you mentioned earlier, a FIS guide, just because I don't know if everybody knows what that is. What is a FIS guide?
1: Yeah, so when I was applying to school, my co-founder and I, uh, my parents used to buy us these, these, there's a couple different ones. There's a Fisk guide or insider's guide to college. And it's like this big textbook that has, you know, five paragraph essays about a school. Uh, my mom would just throw these books at me and like tell me to read them. And I just remember like, I couldn't even get through a paragraph. Like there were so boring and so information heavy and uh, really didn't give me any insight into what the experience was about. Um, and another reason that we wanted to make campus real, honestly, is we focus group tested. We, we talked with so many high school students going through the process and just asked them, like, how do you feel about College Search? And universally, it's like, oh, this process, it's so bad. It's so boring. It's so stressful. I feel like I'm being judged constantly. And we're thinking, like, college itself is the best experience ever. Like, anyone who's been to college understands how transformative and, like, energy-filled it is. So we wanted to bring some of that energy into the search side of things and kind of like push against all the text and data and statistics.
0: Yeah, that's important. It should be fun. It should be something that's like, uh, I don't know, worth taking your time doing instead of like a a task, task after task. Then what I kind of from what you mentioned earlier, it looks like a couple of things inspired you to start it. Uh, What what was it? when you and your partner rob decided you know what this is something that we're going to pursue we see that there's a need for it what What was that moment
1: yeah so so my co-friend and i we've been friends for a while we went to college together and we always had ideas to start a business together we just kind of wanted to look for the right opportunity um and kind of like i mentioned in that introduction to campus real uh what really kind of motivated us to pursue this idea and go into this space is that we recognized that there was a real problem in this space. And there there was kind of two key insights that we had. One was that the resources and technology that that students were leveraging for their college search had not changed at all since my co-founder and I were applying to schools almost a decade prior. And we were confused because there had been so much technological innovation in that decade, but it didn't seem to have seeped into the college search space at all. Like all of these dashboards kind of looked like Atari games and like, they, they really weren't very successful. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so that was a little strange to us. We're like, hi, it's, it's strange that there has not been more technology introduced into this space. Um, and then the other side to this, and, and I would kind of suggest this to any first time or would be entrepreneur is find a real problem to solve. Like there, there's great businesses that you can make that are kind of a value add, um, but I think it's a lot tougher than starting a business where you feel like if someone doesn't solve this problem, this problem is going to persist. Um, and if it's not me who solves it, someone else will, and that's really like in the dark days too, like when you're feeling hesitant or skeptical, especially early on, you're not sure if this is going to work. What always kept us motivated is like this problem's not going anywhere. Someone needs to solve it, so it might as well be us.
0: That's awesome that you all took it upon yourselves to to do that, because that is definitely a need out there to help those students who maybe come from lower income. Uh, backgrounds or and especially those international students because a lot of times when I went to college I remember hearing some of them off of whim they just heard great things about the school um, some had the money to travel others didn't and they just kind of took that risk now how did you get the funding to jumpstart your company because I imagine I, I think I remember hearing somewhere that you raise up to a million dollars and I think some of the f- funding was seed money from uh, some sort of program at at Colgate University.
1: So Colgate has an entrepreneurship contest that they do every year based out of their entrepreneurship program and fund. So we applied to that in the summer of 2017 um, and we won it that year, which was great. It gave us a little bit of seed funding. They gave us $13,000 and they gave us access to an incubator. Um, But most importantly, it was kind of like a vote of confidence, approval or legitimacy that we needed to really go full time with the project. So my co-founder quit his job. He was a consultant, Ernst & Young. Um, I had just been bartending in the city. I had just gotten back from traveling for the past couple of years. And we we put our heads down and started doing this full time. Um, That $13,000 really got us through the proof of concept phase. And we've always been of the mindset. I think we take a, a, a slightly atypical approach to fundraising, where there's one school of thought where it's like, get as much money as you can, as early as you can. Like if people are willing to give you money, just take it. Cause you don't know if that's going to be the case a month or two from now. Mm-hmm. Um, We've Never raised money that we didn't know what we were going to do with, So we, we raised mm-hmm. it very early. Um, so that first 13,000 was really for like kind of proof of concept to see like, if this idea resonates with people to give us some more time to look into the space. Then we raised a really, really tiny round from really family, but like friends and family, there were a couple other people in there to kind of get us to like a, a minimum, minimum viable product to put in front of people and they were gravitating towards it. So then we raised a slightly bigger amount of money to kind of like build out the platform and start putting put it into people's hands. And they really, really gravitated towards it. Then we raised a slightly bigger amount of money to kind of like get users onto the platform, really introduce this into the space. And we've just kind of been doing that uh, sequentially over time as our needs shift and change from a financial perspective.
0: Mm. So, so I started with seed money that gave you all the confidence to show that this is something that people are actually looking for. And then with family and friends, what, what was it that where along the lines, because it it seems like different tiers of when you're getting funding for, to, to really help jumpstart the company. One was the money really helpful towards the company and how were you able to get that money once you got some of that backing?
1: Yeah, so it's never been a case of like, we need to inject cash into the business to be able to accomplish anything. It's really just been Mm -hmm. extending our runway. Um, So the same way that we've been really mindful of only raising money that we need and not raising too much, we've been really, really, really mindful of keeping our burn as low as possible. Um, and that's been like, I think one of our real keys to success, you know, our burn has not gone up more than $5,000 in the life cycle of the entire company running.
0: Wow, um,
1: It's been really intentional. And, and I think it's allowed us to kind of raise money in the way that we need. So it's not, we weren't raising, you know, $250,000 to like pump 150 grand into paid marketing or something to bring on people. It was like, this company has legs. We know what we need to accomplish for the next six months. And we just need some runway.
0: It sounds like you all are making uh, money work for you instead of uh, <laughs> instead of you working for money.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, that's incredible. Knowing that there's alternatives to... Well, actually, before we get there, let's go into the process behind Campus Reel's website and how a student makes an account. So what is, what is Campus Reel for those who are still trying to wrap their head around um, what your company does?
1: Yeah, so Campus Real from a high school student or parent's perspective is just a new approach to a college resource. Um, what we always say is we are not trying to push out any of the pre-existing resources that students are using. Um, so if you're using anything that's really data heavy or kind of like text based, we think there really is a place in the, this kind of process for that. Um, it's a, You obviously need to understand like what kind of applicant you are in the eyes of a college, where your targets are, where your reaches are, where your safety schools might be, and kind of the more traditional like really heavy lift that it takes to go to the college research side of things. What Campus Real is here for is to help inform you th- in between every phase of that process. And once you've done the hard work of figuring out, okay, like what's kind of 40 schools that might be on my radar, where do I fit in as an applicant, we want you to start throwing the statistics and numbers and rankings to the side because they don't matter as much as you think they do. Um, and they really get in the way of making an informed rational decision. How students use Campus Real is they register an account and then they're able to browse through any of our 320 college profiles on the platform. We have some search mechanisms in there that can allow them to filter based on their qualitative uh, necessities for an institution. So they can uh-huh. filter based on school size, parts of the country, different programs. They can filter based on, you know, Uh, schools that have Greek life or schools that don't. And the way that students typically use the platform is they'll go to a school that they're trying to get more information on, a school's profile, and they'll watch a series of videos kind of of students breaking them, bringing them through that experience. What we don't find is students don't come to Campus Reel to kind of like passively engage with the content. They're not really bouncing from school to school, like looking at one video and then looking at another. They're there to do really hard research. Um, um, so typically, when a student uh, comes to Campus Reel's website, they'll spend at least 12 and a half minutes on the site, which for those of you, for those of your listeners who aren't as familiar with kind of like time on site metrics, that's really huge. Like most websites get a minute and a half to two minutes. And it's because students are really, really intentional about what they're doing on the platform and they're coming for an express purpose. Like, I want to get some information about what the student body is like at these three schools. I'm going to sit down for the next hour and just watch these videos and kind of get a sense of like what the vibe is on campus. Um, does that all make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. that def- definitely makes sense. Cause I think that's what in- is important for these students because it's something that they don't know. So they don't know this key term always high schoolers, the sense of belonging or imposter syndrome. And those are two big things that a lot of first generation students and maybe even international students go through when they're visiting a campus. And what they don't know is they're actually tapping into those issues that they may have in the future by trying to get the vibes of the community or the college, the university, so that once they create that informed decision, then they they feel confident in their decision and they find their their sense of belonging. They find the group of people that they feel like they would be friends with. Um, So, yes, that definitely makes sense. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Now, this brings up another question for me. So knowing that there are alternatives, like you mentioned, there's YouTube, where people could just, there's a student out there who could just look up Colgate University or could look up Harvard and find different content creators that, that talk about their college experience. How are you able first to convince investors, if there were any, that your organization was better than the YouTube? And also, how are you able to convince the students themselves to use your platform as opposed to maybe a YouTube or a friend or someone else that they could ask about the the vibe on campus?
1: So Campus Reel is a resource first and foremost, and that's always what we lean into and kind of try to articulate to people. It's incredibly purpose-built. So what we realized on YouTube, there, there was two things with YouTube um, that we realized were really limiting factors. One is there was only really content for like the top 20-ish schools. Um, so you couldn't get content from kind of like <laughs> A school that you maybe have never heard of in the middle of Ohio, where you do have content for that on-campus real. Um, but more importantly, the, stu- the, the students who posted on YouTube, there was no structure or kind of purpose to what they're doing. Um, they just felt compelled to create some video content for better or worse. What we wanted to do is take that approach, like authentic kind of fly on the wall day in the lifestyle content, but really put a lot of structure behind it. Um, So all the students that we work with, they're not, we don't just tell them like, go make some videos and post them to Campus Reel. We give them a ton of guidance on what it takes to be effective on a platform like this. Um, And we give them all these content ideas. We make sure that they're speaking to the academic experience, showing you inside classrooms, showing you dorm room tours. Um, So everything on Campus Reel is purpose built and meant to be in the capacity of a resource, not just entertainment. So I think that's the core of what separates us from something like YouTube.
0: Yeah. And I, I think I remember seeing on your website that you also have paid like student like ambassadors for Campus Reel. Um, yeah.
1: So, so that's uh, we started off the process as like kind of a traditional ambassador program where we just work with students throughout the country and world who are interested in contributing. That's kind of like legacy at this point. Now we are partnering with colleges and universities and they're tapping us into their student body. So it's kind of a different relationship that we have with the students, but the content is the exact same.
0: Yeah. So then because of the pandemic right now, your, your business is in the best place possible for students to use as a resource for when they're looking into college campuses because they're not allowing a lot of college students to do uh, campus tours or they're not allowing to be in person. So because of the current e- uh, economic and, and pa- the trends going on right now in the country, how have you been able to leverage that? to be able to create these partnerships with these universities and business partners.
1: So you're exactly right. The students and parents who have been trying to navigate this process are at a huge loss, obviously, because they're unable to travel from campus to campus. And it's such an important part of the process. So Campus Real has kind of emerged as like the go-to platform to really get a sense of what the community is on a college campus. Um, But on the other side of the equation, you know, colleges and universities do so much to get their brand and messaging out to prospective students, they're, they're spending so much time trying to, like, bring their experience to life and really, like, make it so that students who might not be aware of their institution but who would be a great fit can stumble across their brand, can get a sense of what the community is all about, and maybe, like, kind of shift over and make a decision to the institution that may not have been on their radar. The way that colleges typically are able to get their message out there is there's a lot of in-person conversations that are happening. Um, So there's fairs, you know, they're sending reps all over the country and world to be able to talk to students in person. Students are coming to travel to campus, which is a great opportunity for admissions office to be able to get their message out there and just communicate with the students. All those conversations are unable to happen at this moment. So what colleges and universities are really working through right now is how do we take all these conversations that were happening in person and make them happen in a virtual digital ecosystem. One way to do that is to set up live events where they're kind of like communicating directly with the students, but that's logistically tough and it's only one side of the equation. The other way that you can do this is through video content, authentic video content of students speaking to the experience and really allow your community to be at the forefront of your digital presence and brand and that's what Campus Real is able to do for our college partners.
0: That's awesome. What has it been like building these relationships with these universities? Because I imagine before the pandemic, maybe the volume of like partners wasn't as high as maybe it is now, or you could tell me if if I'm wrong.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. It was, uh, we got a big push from the pandemic itself, but we were also, you know, the timing kind of worked out pretty fortunately for us. We, we weren't putting a ton of emphasis on the college partnerships at that time in the company. We were really focused on serving the students and parents who were engaging with the platform. Once the pandemic happened, we realized that there was a real need for what we were doing. And, you know, we it, it was an iterative process where we figured out exactly what our offering was going to be. And we had to talk with a lot of admission offices to see what they were struggling with. Mm-hmm. Um, but over the past two and a half months, we brought over over 30 clients to officially partner with Campus Real. Um, that's domestically and abroad. So we're working with a bunch of institutions in the US, but we're also working with schools in the UK, and Germany and Canada, all of whom have the same kind of issue where they need their student body to be at the forefront of their brand. Um, the partnerships and relationships that we've been able to establish are, are, it's been amazing, honestly, so far. And what I really like about what we're doing with our university partners is I think dissimilar to some of the other vendors in this space colleges and universities they're not really like purchasing uh, goods and services from us it it really is a partnership and they're just as involved in the process as we are Um, and we're sitting side by side with them to make sure that we have the best outcomes uh, from this video creation so that's what's been really exciting it's been like kind of sitting on the inside with these admission offices talking through what their digital and video strategy should be. And then being front and center as they try to execute um, on their objectives and KPIs.
0: What is a uh, KPIs?
1: Key performance indicator. So, so it's essentially like it, it's a way to quantify success. So if you, you're not entirely sure what you're trying to get out of something, like if it's not just directly tied to revenue. Yeah. There are ways to kind of, uh, indicate that you're performing. Um, so one way a college could look at it is like the amount of video sourced, one could be the amount of students that are engaging with the content. There's a lot of different ways to quantify it and we wanna work with them through
0: any of their KPIs. Okay, that, that makes sense. With uh, everything shifting to a virtual space compared to the traditional face-to-face, how have you been able to support that influx of of people engaging with Campus real? And maybe you've been, already been able to do this because you've always been virtual. But uh, I'm, I'm imagining now there's more students that are like logging in, creating an account on your website.
1: We've assumed that Campus Reel was going to blow up at some point from the day that we started it in a good way. Like we, we assumed that at some point this thing was really going to go viral and pop off. I think a little bit was like kind of unabashed confidence. And the other side was we really believed in what our product was. Um, so we've been built to scale from day one. Like that was always, we've always had questions. Like at any point we were wondering if like we would get, you know, some press or something and the whole thing would just kind of explode or if it would just come kind of off in a way where you see some tech, tech platforms kind of taking off. So we've been thinking about being able to handle demand and scale from day one. Uh, so we had all the structures in place to do so. We didn't know when the timing was going to be, but wow. it hit. we were very prepared for it.
0: Yeah. If, if you can travel back in time, back to the day that you're, you know, maybe presenting on the startup, getting seed investing, or uh, you got the seed investing and you're starting to use that money for different things. If you had 15 minutes to talk to Nick, what lessons would you communicate to save yourself the heartache and mistakes?
1: Yeah, well, luckily we got really great advice. Like we have a ton of really amazing mentors that we've been leaning on since day one. So I think a lot of, we haven't made honestly that many mistakes. And I think it's because we've just had such a great circle around us. So, I mean, just the fact that I'm here today, I don't think I would tell myself to do anything differently. I think some of the points that I've learned that I would want to recommunicate to myself mm. is like I was telling you earlier, like keeping your burn as low as possible, I think is the most important thing. Don't spend any money that you don't know what, like that doesn't seem very purposeful and that's not working towards what you really need as a business Um, And from the same point, approach fundraising from that perspective. Um, And then I think like on a high level, what I would tell myself is there's so much bad advice out there. Like there's so many people who have never (laughs) run a company before who give you advice on how to run a company. And at the time, you don't have enough information to know that what they're telling you isn't uh, effective or helpful. But Mm -hmm. I would be really, you know, I would reinforce to myself before then that like, no one really knows. No one can tell you any, like anything that's really, really useful to your business. Like You just kind of need to figure it out on your own. Take advice much more critically from anyone who started a company before, because without being on the inside doing this yourself, you just cannot have an appreciation for what it takes to do something like this. Yeah. Um, and then, I, honestly, I think it would be less from a business standpoint and more from an emotional standpoint. One thing I did not expect doing this process is how mentally, emotionally – exhausting it is, Um, it's just completely draining. Like it is so emotionally turbulent at all times and there's just no way to prepare yourself for that. So I'd say maybe in the early days to try to enjoy it a little bit more, not stress as much and really only do like, I remember there was such a feeling when early on of like, I want this to work so badly and I wanna do everything I can to help. So like, I'm gonna make myself work for 10 to 12 hours a day to just like do something. Um, And 95% of what we were doing wasn't worthwhile. So really focusing on making sure that you're not just like trying to get the feeling of being productive and actually being productive. Uh I think goes a long way. Um, And then just like trying to understand how important mental sanity is to this whole thing and how stressful it's gonna be. And really taking time for yourself and like understanding that like, your company is an extension of you at all times. So the better position you are in as a person, emotionally, mentally, physically, the better your company is going to be. Um, so it's not like lazy or selfish to take time for yourself. I think it's completely crucial and part of the process. Um, yeah, I mean, I probably want to sit down with myself for like two hours and really get into it, but I, I
0: guess that would be a good starting point. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, there's a couple of things that you brought up that I that just brought up another question because I think this is not a question people often ask what entrepreneurial tricks have you discovered to keep you focused and productive in your day-to-day busy schedule?
1: I was going to say from a mental health perspective, uh, I I took up meditation a little bit before I started the company, but it's become so crucial to to just being able to be successful. Because again, this thing is so stressful and you're just living in uncertainty. Like you're kind of just living in chaos and it's really destabilizing if you're not kind of cut from the right cloth. Um, so the ability to kind of like chill out, decompress, like gather your thoughts, I think goes a such a long way. Um, I pay more attention to mental and physical health now than I ever have. Like I make sure I'm eating right, I make sure I'm getting enough sleep, and and kind of to my point earlier, like understanding that my company is an extension of myself and my co-founder for the most part. And if I'm not in a good place mentally, physically, emotionally, the company is not going to be in a good place mentally, physically, emotionally. So that's one thing that I would emphasize, and then. The other thing that I think we've learned and it kind of ties into my previous point is um, it's become really clear to me that there's a, a difference between the feeling of being productive and actually being productive and producing something. And I think in this kind of like Silicon Valley, like optimize, like get after it grind culture, what people are chasing is that feeling of being productive, like 6am, uh-huh. like doing the two hours of workout, like grinding through the blog posts and typing and, you know, doing all this stuff. Um, and what I've come to realize is like, if you're working smart, you should not have to grind in that way. And if you're not chasing the feeling of being productive, but actually trying to be productive, you, you realize that there's much more efficient ways to do things while you won't get the feeling of like cranking out a 10 hour day, the same way you'll accomplish five times more than what you would have in that day. So that's all a long way of saying that anything that you can automate away, automate it away. Um, Cause there's ways to pretty much automate everything. And then the other thing that I would suggest that I think is really important is do everything for the company in the beginning. Like do everything until you physically just don't have enough hours in the day to do it and then start hiring it away and then start looking for support. Um, But you want to be down and dirty, like in the weeds, learning every single facet of the business. Once you get in the weeds, you'll learn that you can automate away like most of the jobs that you thought you would have to hire for. And then what emerges at the end is like a couple key roles that like you really need to bring on the team to help you scale.
0: What is something that you didn't you least liked about developing your business that you said you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna hire someone for this because I can't do this anymore. There's got to be something maybe or maybe something that took more a lot of your time that you felt like I I definitely need to get somebody for this.
1: Yeah, well, it's part of it is about uh, skill sets. Like my my business partner and I are not really technical. We both have an okay understanding of how to kind of develop, but at the very beginning we had to hire away all the development. Like we weren't going to take that on for ourselves and then we essentially didn't really hire anyone for like three years straight like it was basically just me and him and we had some outsourcing we had some people helping us with design work Mm -hmm. um now we're at a point where our time is just becoming much more stressed and thin and we need to think like what we can take on and what we can't there's when you take on new clients if you're doing something that's b2b there's just like a lot that goes into customer success and keeping your clients happy and it's like Uh probably the single most important part of doing business outside of even what you're delivering for them. It's like making sure that their concerns are heard, that you're on, you know, you're on call at all times that you're able to deliver when they need something in real time. So that's what we're looking for right now. Like we want to hire just a rockstar team of people who can really help us manage these relationships. So that mm-hmm. my business partner and I are freed up a little bit more to kind of think more big picture and uh, you know, move the business forward. What I've got grown a real appreciation for even recently is mental bandwidth as opposed to physical like there's always more hours in the day and you can always do more work and if you're working smart like you shouldn't have to work 15 hour days but mm-hmm. you can like stay focused on so many things um and that's really what i try what i try to get off my plate is not workload it's like mental load that i just need to get off my plate so i can start thinking more creatively about the things that are more important for the company
0: yeah going back to what you said of how to automate things to just be as productive as you can be what do you what are some examples maybe of things that you've automated for yourself to help you be more productive?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, if you got under the hood of our company, I think you'd see that like basically everything that we do has a level of automation to it. There's so many tools and resources and softwares out there that are trying to help small businesses be productive. Um, So simple things like, you know, if you want to do, app, here, here's an example. So uh-huh. I, uh, uh, Steve Jobs' is autobiography I read a year or two ago, and there's a chapter in it about him, kind of like one of like how he was differentiated as a youth in terms of like being really scrappy and proactive. There's a story about him like kind of going door to door to people that he was interested in working with and cold calling them on the phone, and he would make like 45 calls in a day, uh-huh. and like finally got exposure and that kind of thing.
0: Uh-huh. Um,
1: and that seemed really crazy at the time, like you know he's spending 10 hours a day calling people we can send 15,000 emails in an afternoon um, and you know, have 20 times the return from what Steve Jobs was able to do from his like kind of cold calling grinding efforts. Yeah. So that, that's how we think about it. It's like mm. there, there's this idea of like sweat equity and that's what differentiates entrepreneurs from non-entrepreneurs is like, they're willing to put in the time, they're willing to like grind out, you know, 20 articles that they're writing themselves and like knock on doors and cold call people. I think that that's kind of the way of the past. And there's just all these Mm -hmm. softwares and systems that are allowing you to do that at scale with no additional effort on your own Mm. part.
0: And I think that's important because uh, sometimes people get so infatuated and sexualize the grind. Like it's really, I've seen, I've met a lot of friends and people who like are always grinding and grinding and, and I've never heard them just be at a point when they're at peace. And I think that's important, like you mentioned, working smarter.
1: That's so, so important. And I think I, I was like kind of fell victim to this in the beginning of, of starting the company. And I think when you're first becoming an entrepreneur, like you're looking at all this kind of like Tim Ferriss stuff and like all these people who are like working with entrepreneurs and trying to figure uh-huh. out okay, who do I need to be to like be an entrepreneur and what does it take? And what emerges is that like grind culture. It's like, yeah, you just got to grind it out and it's like sweat equity and like, you know, you got to work hard. And that's obviously a component of it. That's, an, that's a component of being successful at anything. Like you need to be able to work really hard. Um, but it's not the case that the people who are successful are the ones who work the hardest. If that were the case, then all you would need to do is work 120 hours a week and you'd have yeah. a success. But that's yeah. just not smart. Like the key to success is being smart. And that's not what's talked about in
0: Right. Now, I, you mentioned earlier that um, because you've gotten guidance, I guess you have, I don't know if it's a confidant or just like your, your uh, what they call it, your, your board of trustees or board of advisors. And these mentors have been able to really help make sure that you're always on the right track for developing your business. How do you value mentorship? How do you use it to gain an advantage? Because it seems like that's what really helped you.
1: Yeah. So in the early days, it's everything, especially if you've never started a company before, which I imagine like a lot of people who would listen to this are kind of in that boat. I think it's a good opportunity to really humble yourself. And, you know, we, we weren't like this, like we were kind of like brash, confident kids and felt like we had it all figured out, but you just, you do not know any, like, you just don't know anything. Like I I talk to so many people who are first starting companies and it's just like, I, I see myself in them and you kind of see like the wide eyes and like, everything's really heady and like kind of narrativized and like they've convinced themselves of this argument, but that's not a business is not an argument. It's like, just really like getting in the weeds and doing the thing. So in the first year of starting a company, I think like the most important thing is just to talk to as many people as you can. Um, mm. When we, when we gained access to Colgate's entrepreneurship fund, they gave us this big, like master list of mentors and we called every single one of them and like 95% of the phone calls we had were completely listening. 5% of them push the business forward in a really meaningful way. Um, and that that's what it takes. Like that's part of the grind. Like you just need to, to have all those dud calls to be able to have the ones that move you forward. And also in that process, we met a bunch of our mentors who we're still working with on a daily basis right now. So it was really great. So I think for the first six months to a year, while you're just trying to figure things out, talk to people in your industry, talk to people who have done anything kind of similar to what you're doing, talk to any entrepreneur who has started a company from the ground up and take their advice really seriously. I would never, you're going to get a lot of advice that kind of like pushes you off track a little bit and people will tell you things that maybe you don't want to hear. I would really internalize it, but not let it kind of like knock you off course. And I always kind of visualize it as like, there's sort of like a straight line of like your own understanding of the company. And then you're doing all these phone calls. They're like knocking you up and down and back and forth. But yeah. the degree the to which it knocks you is getting smaller and smaller over time. And then they hit an inflection point where it was not possible for someone on the outside to give us useful advice. And that happened after about a year or two. And it's just because I think it probably happened, honestly, once we hit the kind of like 10,000 hours of thinking of this thing, like nobody has thought about this company or this industry or this space or the opportunity more than my business partner and I have. So it's just not possible really for someone to give us any kind of like big advice about the company. So now when we look for advice, it's about things that Either it's like very industry specific, so like we want to talk to people in education who just like have an understanding of the whole ecosystem that we don't, or it's about later stages of running a company that we just don't really understand as well right now. So like stuff related to fundraising and you know growing and becoming more legitimate.
0: That's incredible. I didn't, I wouldn't have thought of that. Like okay, I I've gotten enough advice from everybody. I think I'm good. I think I know where to start because. I don't know. I feel like some people get stuck in the uh, rabbit hole of just finding information and just keep asking different people. But I think that's where we have to decide for ourselves when it is that we're going to just launch this thing or because if you don't, then it's just going to be lost in in the weeds of just trying to do it. Like you said, going back to it's just going to be the grind (laughs) of of trying to like just get that information or, or work on it where you're not like putting it out there for people to see. So then that brings up a good topic. Like what were some struggles in the beginning of launching Campus Reel a couple of years ago that you've noticed and you've been able to overcome?
1: Yeah. So I think th- there's struggles along every phase of a startup. And I think like every company kind of goes through a similar process of like, you have a concept and then you kind of want to like prove out the concept and just like make sure it kind of like vibes with people. Uh-huh. Um, and then you start to build out an MVP, a minimum viable product. Um, that's a phase that I think is really, really tricky. It's kind of like um, figuring out what is the lowest touch, least cost intensive way to create value that I can put in front of real people and get an objective understanding of if they appreciate my product or not. That part of the process is really tough. But if you can get a clear enough confidence that like you have a product market fit to some extent, then I think that's time to put your head down and either commit a hundred percent or fall back because like, there's no going back after that. And then what emerges is essentially like a series of sort of like two-sided marketplaces or like two-sided problems where it's like, I need to provide value to this stakeholder I don't have the value yet in order to have the value. I kind of need the stakeholder to be bought in so that I can provide the value to that. So you have this whole like air of like a problem. Entrepreneurship from my perspective is literally just like problem solving on a micro and macro level. And like, we've been over the past four years, we've been solving this like big macro problem of like, how do you introduce a resource that like brings students to the forefront and then work with colleges. But every day there's all these little micro problems and it always kind of feels like it's this idea of like, a two sided marketplace, or a two sided sort of like equation, where both of the parts of it are so necessary for each other, but they don't exist yet, and you can't make one without the other. So how do you bridge the gap and bring them together? So I know it's a little bit vague, but that that is kind of like the core of what every problem is for us.
0: No, no that's good food for thought. I like that because that's that that's something that entrepreneurs should think about: is their the problem, what's the issue they're trying to solve, and if it's big enough for people to really get behind. Depending on how big they want to get, because some people, maybe they just want to start up a mom and pop shop and something, or maybe they want to just do something local, nothing is national. Um, So that's something that's still great. So then what are some of the common reasons that people fail or give up in being entrepreneurs from what you've seen through your networks of other entrepreneurs or from, from what while you were creating this business, something that you feel others would give up yeah i think
1: i think there's two maybe three things that really are are the core reasons why people kind of fall off or why like 95 percent of companies don't work Mm -hmm. um the first is kind of to what we were talking about earlier the difference between creating a, a product that's a value add versus solving a problem it doesn't happen like super super often but like periodically now i have like kind of First time entrepreneurs who are pretty new in their company just asking me for advice because, like, I've just kind of been through this, what they're about to go through um, very recently. Mm -hmm. And if a lot of times I hear ideas and I don't think they're good, and Mm -hmm. the reason I don't think they're good almost invariably is because they're a value add and not a problem solve. And Mm -hmm. sometimes people will frame a value add in the context of a problem solve (laughs) um, because that's kind of like what they need to do to convince themselves. But I think. What people don't realize and what we didn't realize at the beginning, like you think if you can just build something that's awesome and like provides value, people are just going to come. Like it's just going to work. That's not the case at all. Like getting users onto a platform is incredibly difficult. You have to change people's behavior with any new product. You're like basically trying to change a whole community of people's behavior. And that's really difficult. Um, So like all the time. Like I have people coming to me with ideas for mobile apps that they want to create about like, you know, how to help when you're traveling or, you know, something along these lines. And I always say, like, look at your phone right now. How many apps do you have on it besides like Facebook, Instagram, and maybe like something that helps you order food? Like, when was the last time that you just downloaded an app that like you use all the time? And usually like people maybe have one to two others. So it's like really difficult to get people to change their behavior. The only kind of surefire way to at least feel like you have a shot at it is if you're solving a real problem for them. Um, If you're solving a real problem, then I would buy the argument that you can get people to use it. If it's just something that's like nice to have, or you're kind of like framing a value add in the perspective of a problem, I think that's just not the way to go from the jump. That's not to say that value add companies can't work. They do all the time. But I think it's just much more difficult to get off the ground. Um, And then I think the other way that people fall short is they don't stress test their ideas enough in the short term and kind of convince themselves of their value to to a capacity that like leads them to be a little bit blind to the reality of what's going on. Mm. Um, They don't realize until it's too late, and they're a little bit burnt out. They've been doing it for like eight months. They're not getting traction. They just don't really have like the bandwidth to push forward. So like what I always tell people, and like my little brother, for example, uh, has tried to start a couple of companies now, and he's in the process of starting one. And I was just on the phone with him. And I, I was just like, What you should do is sit down and think of all the reasons why this is not going to work. Like stress test your idea. You know, you should be so critical on yourself, so hypercritical and figure out every reason why this is not going to work. And if after you've gone through that process, you still think this is worth pursuing, then go for it. Then you've done the work. But you need to be honest with yourself, because if you don't realize it now, you're going to realize it a
0: year from now when you've
1: just like wasted a year of your time and had something that didn't work.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's important. (laughs) Stress test your idea. That's. That's a good point that people don't think about while they're, I mean, they, yes, they do, but not to the extent that you're explaining it, just kind of sitting down and really finding reasons why it doesn't work. Cause we could always find the reasons why it works, but what is, uh, what's the opposing side going to say? Um, the other person, there's another person on the opposite side of like, maybe your business that will say, Hey, a a virtual experience is never going to be better than an in-person experience when a student is trying to see whether or not that campus, that, that college campus is where they belong. How would you respond to that?
1: Yeah, so it, it's a it's a good question. It's different than what you've asked, but it's a similar answer to what I've said before. Um, we're, we're not trying to push out any resource, any system, any mechanism that students are looking to get exposure to college campuses. Anything that a student finds valuable, I, like that's great. Like if you find textbooks really valuable, use textbooks like that's that's amazing there's no replacement for visiting a campus in person even though i i run a company that's like quote unquote a virtual campus tour there's no replacement for visiting in person that being said uh there's no limit to the amount of data that you should be considering when making this decision and what what we're trying to do honestly is just put more new data into the system like in on some level we look at each video it's just a data point. And like, while it's not a number statistic or something that you can really point to, it's a data point of like, okay, the library late night feels like this, like, that's kind of good to know, like, this is what game day is sort of like, like, this student feels like the campus lacks adversity, like, that's something I didn't know before, that's, that's a good new data point. Um, Mm -hmm. So I see Campus Real as complementary, not competition to any other mechanisms that students are using to get information And yeah, we're just trying to do something really differentiated Mm -hmm. and a new part of the equation that people hadn't before. But whatever students find valuable, again, like we just want this process to be easier for students because it's just so bad (laughs) right now.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you for that. So we're coming close to the end of this interview and everything you've been saying is great, honestly, because I feel like it's another way of thinking through problem solving when students and aspiring entrepreneurs are trying to develop something because that that's part of like what the name is for this podcast is go entrepreneur yourself because not enough people are acting on their on their ideas and i think a lot of a lot of times people sit on them so what piece of advice would you give aspiring entrepreneurs or college graduates who want to become entrepreneurs
1: yeah so i think there's there's two things i would say one is be, sit down for a little bit and like be honest with yourself or just ask yourself the question like why do I want to be an entrepreneur and like why do I want to start a business?
0: Um,
1: I would Honestly, I wish I like thought about this more. I think the idea of being an entrepreneur is so like glamorized and like to your point kind of like sexualized like there's like yes. this sexy image. I think it all happened from the social network that Mark Zuckerberg movie, which is like you know, <laughs> you're partying with Justin Timberlake and like you have to do all this cool stuff and it's like super fulfilling and it's, it's great that that's true like maybe four percent of the time like 96 percent of the time it's you're just with your face down in a computer (laughs) doing work that's so boring that you couldn't hire anyone to do it and it's like you really just need to do all that no one wants to um i I would just like one like and this is what i say to my brother all the time like running a company is really fulfilling it's not fun really on a day-to-day basis sometimes it is a lot of times it's really tough so just like I would get rid of the idea that like this is going to be like a break from corporate life and like I'm going to be my own boss and it's going to be like I'm just going to be on these private jets Mm -hmm. and do all this cool stuff you know like that's not really what it is so if that's your motivation for starting a company like you think this is just a sweet release relief from corporate life like I don't I don't think that's a good way to go about it Um, and then another kind of like word of caution before I get into more positive stuff is Uh and this is something I had no appreciation for at the outset but like I think when people are starting a company, they never picture like what happens if this actually works. Like I was just mm-hmm. thinking about the reasons, you know, this isn't going to work. Like there's no way I'm going to be able to do this. But what I didn't realize it's like, if this works, you're going to be working on this for the next five years minimum. I would mentally prepare for five years, probably longer. Um, so make sure that like what you're doing, you find interesting, that you're in a space that you find interesting, that you're kind of like passionate about it. Like sometimes I hear the a lot of young entrepreneurs have like cool ideas for like a little widget or like a little app or like you know some kind of trading ecosystem or something and it's like that could maybe work like maybe that would work but is that something that you really want to like be your entire life and like define you for the next five years so I would be like really mindful that like if it works there's a whole new set of problems that come in and things you probably hadn't considered and then outside of like the negative side of things I would tell people that The the entrepreneurial journey is really transformative and really defining. And it gives you a sense of ownership over your own life that I don't think you can get anywhere else. But you're kind of like going into the gauntlet. So like if you're prepared to like really go into the gauntlet and be more emotionally and mentally fatigued and stressed and overwhelmed than you've ever been. Then on the other side of that, I think there's just a tremendous amount of self-confidence that comes from that, which is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing that I think is so beneficial about going through the entrepreneurial experience is it allows you to look under the hood of like how corporate America works, how companies are structured, how people provide value, and really like people who you maybe looked up to that you thought like they really have it figured out like what you're going to realize is like everybody is winging it like no one nobody knows what they <laughs> entities like they have no idea like you're not as far behind as you think you are um, and I think especially for people who are just coming out of college like you you've been inside of this structure for so long that's kind of like preparing you for this big future event where you're like entering into this force of like adults who like have everything figured out and it's just the whole, the whole like joke of it all is like, no one does. And everyone's just <laughs> kid, like an old kid. You're a kid at every point of your life. Um, so it teaches you to not be intimidated by anything or anyone or, or mm-hmm. really just feel like you're capable of accomplishing anything, not just because you become much more self-confident, but you just look at other people as if like they don't have anything figured out that you've done. Um, mm. That was like three or four points in there, but hopefully that helps.
0: Yeah, that was great. And I really like the point that you bring up about from hearing what you said, it kind of feels like i'm hearing you go through like you said the emotional and the mental you go past your capacity and then you sort of it humbles you this experience of building this company that there's so many things there's nothing else that can wither your confidence like you you've gone through everything the highs the lows no one else can really bring you down as much as your own as yourself in a way as as you have
1: I feel like uh, I've been saying this recently. I feel like the like stress receptors in my brain have just burnt out or something. Cause I've like been on stress for so long. Like I just don't. Yeah. I, I feel much more at ease. And I think t- to that point, like I've said this a couple of times, but I just want to reinforce it. Like the challenge of doing this is mental and emotional and it's all you, like it's your own mental battles and your, it's your own emotional battles. It's not really the day to day of running the business. It's the idea of being a human Living inside of chaos, basically, for like years on end, um, and that's where it gets tough. But that's where, if that idea like gets you a little juiced up and it's like a, like gets your blood pumping, like then maybe you're kind of the right type of person for it.
0: Yeah. So then this brings up um, another question: Is like, do you have any books or resources that sh- that aspiring entrepreneurs could look at? Maybe something on the online that also helped you. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So there's only two, there's actually only one like pure startup book that I found really helpful. Um, and it's called the lean startup. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of your listeners know it. it's like one of the more famous books
0: out there. No wonder, no wonder, you know, about lean processing. Look at you. Yeah, so that's, <laughs> Not- that's,
1: and, uh, that, that's pretty, pretty helpful. Um, and then there's this There's a book, but the idea, I I think I didn't actually read the book. I just looked up the idea, but the idea itself is really important. It's called Dual Track Agile. Um, So that's something worth looking into. Would you
0: say Dual Track Agile? Dual Track
1: Agile. Okay. Um, And those are the only two books, really, that are like technical, technically about startups, like about the technical side of it that I found helpful. Um, Mm. Everything else seemed a little bit irrelevant. But for me, what really helped is uh, reading things about entrepreneurs or self-made people, or just like people I respected a lot. So there's this book, it's actually right above me up here, called Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. Um, and that basically distills like these lessons learned from like hundreds of different really high functioning, very successful people. Um, so that was really nice. And then what I did actually before I started a company, all with the idea of like wanting to start a company is I, I'd spent all my time reading uh, biographies and autobiographies of people that I just felt like we're kind of like good role models and like impressive people. What, what I realized early on is that startup books are not that helpful because they're just like, they're only relevant probably like later on throughout the cycle. So like if you haven't started a company yet, they're not going to be very helpful and they're really just kind of teaching you like one idea, but they're spelling it out over the course of a book. Mm-hmm. Um, what I found super helpful from reading all these autobiographies is learning about the type of person that you kind of have to be to be successful or like what, what, for people like you know richard branson jay-z thomas jefferson whoever it is like what what was in their dna that like led them to be successful and like what do i want to be leaning into in myself and what do i not want to be leaning into um and the lessons that i learned from those people uh, dead or alive is really what drove me to like make all the decisions that i did and like ultimately kind of led me to be here
0: wow that's incredible this actually reminds me of an interview i did with uh there was an interview on on this podcast uh, he was like the the mentor to entrepreneurs and he said the same thing where he he a lot of entrepreneurs they think that a startup book would always help them but it doesn't really answer that question of what what really molds that entrepreneur and it's a, through those autobiographies like when they're talking about themselves and and how they went about how they thought through the processes to build their business. So it's crazy how that's a common thing everyone's saying now. So there you go, folks. If you, if you want to learn about entrepreneurship, I mean, that's a great way. Look at autobiographies of your favorite entrepreneur and see how they thought and, and what they went through in that process. So last question, anything else I should have asked? Maybe some things that you want to tell our audience members that are listening, that will be listening to this podcast
1: yeah, my uh, my last piece of advice would be, and it's something I, I said a little bit earlier, but I think it's a point to keep in mind is that like, I think anyone who has that itch of starting a company should explore it. I think, like I said earlier, like it's really important to be mindful of all the downsides that are associated with starting a business. What I would say to anyone who's considering being an entrepreneur is like, you're never going to feel ready and you're never going to be sure if the idea is right. So once you have an idea that you feel like It could exist in some world and it's something that you want to pursue. I would spend the next six months actively and passively exploring it, stress testing it, seeing why it wouldn't work, you know, getting the concept out there to other people and uh, seeing if it's something that they would gravitate to. And after that six to eight month window, I would make the really hard decision to either like put it to the side, like this is something that's not going to work, or this is something I'm gonna do. And if that's your decision, then there's no turning back. Like head down 100%. Anyone who tells you it's not gonna work, don't listen to them because they don't know what they're talking about. You have to be like stubborn and ridiculously hyperconfident and just go, go, go against all odds. But it's important to put in that first couple months of like really being mindful of if this is something worth pursuing. So definitely like consider all the reasons why I shouldn't do this. Once, I, once you've made the decision, like, yes, this is something I wanna do, don't let anybody
0: stop you and just go ahead down. Awesome. I think stubborn is definitely a part of the secret to being an entrepreneur being stubborn. <laughs> I've seen that in a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Nick, for being on this podcast. I really appreciate the wealth of information you brought in. And um, hopefully we get to hear more about your, your business in the future and, and what it's going to look like. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time as well. Well, thank you, listeners. Have a wonderful day.